Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Get to the Good Part. I'm Ryan. I'm John. And this is Chris. And this is Chapter 11 of Ready Player One, a chapter that begins with a game of Galaga. So let me ask you this, guys. How quickly did you realize what was going on in this chapter? First read through. I mean, John, obviously. But Chris. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to say that it was immediate. It took me a while. Uh, it took me to, you're going to be late for school, David. Hurry. Now, what should have been the hint here was the poster on the wall in the bedroom was... Yeah. Was, was War Games. War Games, War Games yeah. And that that's where the Copper Gate ended up being. So I, I, I didn't pick up on that clue. So I was kind of kind of cool. I was kind of just as lost as to what the heck was going on as as Wade was. I mean, as soon as he said, well, I looked and I saw my reflection and I wasn't me, I was a young Matthew Broderick, I was like, oh, okay, war games. <laughs> it's war games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't immediate, and it, but, I mean, it's, it, took, it took a while. Yeah. I mean, this isn't, this, this is, uh, I think, as far as being too, you know, being derivative or... You know, refer- references are something that gets beat up every time this book appears on some in, on the annals of Reddit in some place. The one thing people go after is references. This is the whole, this is this is one of those parts that's kind of hard to defend because <laughs> it's like you yeah. know, it's not something <laughs> subtle. It's not just him mentioning it. I mean, he is in work yeah. <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I had an issue with that a little bit. I mean, what I get, did you do? Okay, get, what was your issue with it? I get the symbolism. Okay, I get that it symbolizes that the Gunter immersing themselves into '80s pop culture nostalgia and test their dedication to the hunt. I understand that, but seventy-five percent of this chapter was written already. You know, there was no thought by someone put in, else. Yeah, by somebody else. So there's no thought put into the first three fourths of this chapter. I loved it. Like I, the idea that a game could be in being immersed into a movie. My first thought when I when I read this was that's a freaking awesome idea because it's like movie karaoke. And if there was ever a movie where. You know, you wanted to be the cool guy, or you wanted to be the action hero, or you wanted to be uh, the guy that hooks up with whomever the the really attractive uh, co-actress is. This is it. You know, you get to do all the stuff you see in the movie. Now, War Games may not have been the best movie for that, but it was still kind of a cool interest. So when I thought about this, I thought, how awesome would it be to throw on a pair of goggles and, and jump into it? 
I don't know, man. Ali Sheedy's hot. But yeah. Don't don't yeah. use Ali Sheedy. <laughs> if the movie involved love scenes <laughs> with some with some actresses that you fawned over, then yes, I could see how that would uh <laughs> that would be pretty nice. But honestly, I think actors would be the ones that would appreciate this scenario the most. Okay, so question to you guys right now you're in the hunt you're at the first gate right mm-hmm. what movie are you hoping to see there what movie do you think you could flick sync right away with unprompted i mean because obviously you're not as prepared as wade is he's gone back and watched his movies a thousand times so what is it what, what what's the uh what's the movie that you could go back and do this for oh boy is there one? So the, I mean, yeah, there's there are so there's, many. There's, there, yeah, there's a few. Um, I mean, if you're talking '80s and in this vein, The Breakfast Club, which I'm, I've mentioned in the past, <laughs> I grew up watching. Uh, outside of that, maybe a movie like Pulp Fiction. Oh. Uh, the dialogue in that is pretty easy to remember. Chris, did you have one? Uh, Ghostbusters. Like if we were talking about like mm. a movie where where I have a, a good portion of the dialogue ingrained into my brain, Ghostbusters is just filled with a bunch of kick-ass one-liners. Uh, I'd love to be, I'd love to be Egon through that movie. I think that would be freaking <laughs> awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'd, I'd love to be, I'd love to be Bill Murray's character, but I think being Egon in that movie would be fantastic. I'd love to love to talk about the the Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> So what about the that? Would be <laughs> Winston Zedmore. Tell him about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? One of the greatest lines in yeah. cinematic history. Mine would be. My, I mean, John, you already know mine right off the bat. I'm sure. Um. Yeah, Made in Manhattan. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, without question. No, you did. Uh, you've said. I think you've said this before. Uh, it would be Ferris Bueller, right? Ferris Bueller's Day yeah. Off. Not Ducky. I could, I might be able to do Ducky and Pretty in Pink, but I could, I could definitely do Ferris Bueller. That would be a great it, movie. I haven't seen that movie in like ten years, and, and for some reason, like, uh, it's just, it's just one of those movies that just sticks with me. But I, you, again, before before this ten year lapse, I mean, when I was a kid, for some reason, my mom let me watch it. I watched that movie at least three times a day throughout <laughs> between the time it was like five and ten. <laughs> I mean, it was just like on Saturday afternoon, it was just on. Yeah. On Like I would just rewind the tape and just keep going. I love that movie. But yeah, I tie back into Matthew Broderick there. So. That's true. Okay, well, if there was a movie that if you had to play through this, you felt would absolutely fuck up your world. Like there's some movies that are just you. You're glad that you are on the other side of the screen, and I don't even necessarily mean horror movies. But if there was just a mentally jarring film that that you went through this with, uh, what would it be? Clockwork Orange. <laughs> Without oh, question, yeah. Clockwork Orange, man. For some when I was a kid, or when I first saw this, I guess I guess I was still kind of a kid. I mean, I was probably like. 13 the first time I saw it. But yeah, the the scene where he comes out of jail and his two uh 
his two droogs are police officers and they drag him into the woods and beat him. Like, it, it just, I, I, did, I mean, Stanley Kubrick, one of the greatest directors of all time, the way that this is shot is just like that dingy sort of afternoon sunlight, like golden hour, but somehow he makes it look dirty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right. just like, it, it's just a complete loss of innocence in that moment. Like, before they were just having fun, you know, as horrible as what they were doing was, they were still just, like, kind of having fun. But now the world's kind of grown up without him, and it's just this nightmarish feel to me. I, I, I would not want to live through that. Yeah, now, that's wasn't a good he, one. Wasn't he tortured, like, with his eyes kept open? Yep. Like, that that scene where he is freaking out, where he is strapped down and his eyes are open? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I read that scene as... That was a real response. He was truly flipping well, out because his shit was open fully. It was. It wasn't until because he was just, he was he was eating it up for a while, kind of just playing along. But it wasn't until they used Beethoven as the soundtrack to the images he was seeing that he started to freak out because that was his. I mean, that's what he listened to. So you can see some real, real pain and torture at that moment and that yeah that would be i i'd love to think of another one but ryan since you brought up clockwork orange that one would just be torturous to to play through yeah you don't mess with ludwig von yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think i i don't know about like like torturous but donnie darkow i think would be a real interesting movie to sort of plow through and there's nothing particularly about it that was uh torturous <laughs> like yours I, but uh, i really enjoyed kind of the the mental warp of that movie when i first saw it and then six or seven times afterwards that i saw it so i, I think i'd enjoy it but i think that that it would uh, uh still kind of mess with me a little bit okay well Moving on through the chapter as much as we can, because, like I said, a majority of this chapter takes place in a flick sink. Well, what we find out later is called a flick sink after GSS starts buying up copyrights and reproducing this. Um, but, but a majority of this chapter takes place in, in war games. And there's a pretty intricate scoring system here, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Now... The way that it works, and just to simplify this, is he's scored on on accuracy when repeating the lines and getting bonuses for getting actions correct um, and things like that. So it's not really like the, the toughest criteria. I mean, really, you just need to know the dialogue to get through. The thing that hit me here was freaking it. it there isn't a movie where I would know enough dialogue from beginning to end that I wouldn't fail this period. Like it's, it's even when I read this, I was like, no, there's no way. How is, how is he, how does he have this one movie memorized? And I get it. He's seen it a million times. So the book says, but of all the movies that are picked, surely he doesn't have the dialogue of every eighties movie memorized. So the idea that he has to get every line right in this particular movie with a couple, uh, uh, saving cards, where he does really well, and then he kind of gets a, a hint later on. Yeah, I think it was it wasn't it um, cue card power up seven yeah seven with seven consecutive 
accurate answers. You right. get a cue card power up, right? Where you can select to say, "Show me the dialogue," and it just yeah, it's, it's like a you. it's like a lifeline. Yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine any movie where that would be the case because it's talking about like one and a half to three hours worth of dialogue for a given movie for a specific character. That would be very hard, as cool as this would be. That would be a fun thing to do on the video stream sometime, just to take the Pepsi challenge on it, because I, I, I honestly think that I could do Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <sighs> I just, like, play the movie up until, like, the dialogue, and mm-hmm. then hit pause, and you have to get it as correctly as possible, and then let it play out. <laughs> that would be fun to simulate. Yeah. That could be done. I would do, I, I would do that. I'd be, I'd be willing to give it a shot. I think I could get it right. I could get at least 75% of that movie. Yeah, but three in a row, and then three in a row, and, I'm and done. then you're done. D- is it three in a row, or is it three total? It was three. It's be it was three, three consecutive fuck ups. Three in a row. He didn't obviously. It didn't happen to him, so he wasn't entirely sure what would happen. But right. it was three in a row, and he his guess was it would either be death or he'd be kicked out of the of the gate. It doesn't happen to him, but it does say he when he messes up twice. I think. That's when it pops up and says one more and one more and you're done. Yeah, but he didn't know okay. if it was death or you just get kicked out. Yeah, because it would it would suck to burn up two lights or two lives right at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, I'm, it's, <laughs> damn it, <laughs> this is gonna be tough. <laughs> well, imagine, up yeah, imagine that being a movie that you didn't know and you just got in. Oh, yeah. You're oh. like, oh shit, I should have watched this movie. <laughs> I, my concern was kind of like, well, what what happens? Does it? Do you all of a sudden get your butt kicked out the the gate? Do you just pff, fall out the gate and into the room? Does, it doesn't really say. Yeah. Well, I, he I know, know, but I was thinking like, because all I got to think is, I don't, I would fail this on any movie, even the one that I really like and and know relatively well. So, what, you know, would it take the key away from you so you couldn't do it again? Would you have to start over with the key, go back and get the key and come back? It, that would be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. To know how somebody fails this sort of task, I th- surely you wouldn't die. <laughs> Is there? I, I, I don't know. I haven't read further, but I mean, there's no point in the future chapters that kind of play into that idea a little bit. Can't say. Yeah, I know you can't. <laughs> I don't know why I asked. <laughs> I don't know why you asked either. <laughs> so what like, happens hey, next? Let's, let's endeavor down a path that I can't follow. I can't even say yes or no. I, right. I just I can't say. You could just smile. <laughs> we all agree that this would be fucking hard. This would just be yeah. nearly impossible. Yeah. Now imagine doing it if you've been up for like 40 hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because I don't know exactly how long he's been awake at this point, but it's, I mean, consider this. We are we are now at chapter 11. Wade has not yet slept <laughs> throughout <laughs> the entirety of this book. And a lot of shit's happened. Yeah, that's true. He says it's a well, he says it's over 24 hours. He's been at it for over 24 hours. And I'm sure he's, he's still running on adrenaline, obviously. Oh, yeah. But... At some point, your body just can't handle it, and your mind can't take it either. There, there, there are kids in South Korea dying with this much game time. <laughs> it's true. I'm yeah. not kidding. It's, I, I, I shouldn't laugh at that. That's, it's every few that's months, some, some kid dies but, at, a, 
at an internet bar because he's was there for two days in a row. Well, there's a guy that uh, oh, man, I feel like we mentioned this before. There's a yep. guy that tried to do uh, break the record for you know playing video games for a extended period of time, and yeah, he died, didn't he? He got like a blood clot in his leg or something like mm-hmm. that. And and he was live streaming it too, wasn't it? Like a charity he was doing it for. I don't think so. Wasn't yeah, South I, Korea I, I though? That no was idea. an American, if I remember rightly. I think he was just a pretty intense gamer, man. <laughs> I don't know why we're laughing about this topic. <laughs> I gotta be honest, man. Like there were, were times hoping. when I was playing. There were times when I was playing Skyrim where I was concerned that I might be running into a similar problem. <laughs> I, I was can't like, feel my toes. Been, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Around the time my son was born, Jamie took him on vacation with, you know, without me. Yeah. So I was like alone in the house for the first time in forever. So what do you do? You pop in a game and you play all weekend. I was, I was concerned at a certain point. I remember doing a similar thing with a buddy playing Boulder's Gate 2. And I mean, we'd go to bed at seven eight nine o'clock in the morning because we've been playing all night long i remember getting up for work and you guys were still playing boulder's game (laughs) like weren't you guys playing that last night still playing it man (laughs) oh you know the only time i ever played all night kind of games was like way earlier when i was playing battle tech on a board game not even video game it don't give me that look shut up board game you, there's oh, a there's board no time game. To, uh, there's no copy. time to just say, we'll pick this up tomorrow. No, no, because it was like all laid out across this table, and I had to take my turn, damn it. Well, yeah, but I've done the same thing with Monopoly. I've, I've had three-day <laughs> games of Monopoly for that reason. Uh, but anyhow, so up all night. I can imagine how, how crashed out he could possibly be. I can't go eight hours without crashing. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so Wade's been up for a while at this point. Imagine, imagine how difficult that must be, staying up that long, remembering all of that dialogue. We run into a situation here where it's like, again, we're damn near impossible. It's not, it's not impossible. I, I really don't think that this part is impossible. This isn't, this isn't so far fetched. This could happen, right? Sure. And, and, and if you think about it, you could, you could pretty easily. You think about how many lines of dialogue Matthew Broderick has in that movie. You could save up your, you know, you you could save up enough power ups to really kind of get you through some of the more challenging parts pretty easily. Yeah, well, he say he does say that you know once he gains he gains like five cue card power ups and it 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 takes it's a little easier on him after that point because he knows he has that kind of banked the fallback. Yeah. yeah. See, for me, that would make it harder. If what? if I didn't, if I knew I had that fallback, my my brain would go into autopilot and I'd screw something simple up. Yeah, I, I mean, I and, and Wade seems to be the same way. He's a he's a deadline guy. You know what I mean? And and we'll talk about this a little more in the book, or, you know, as we go on to the book. But he's a deadline guy. Like he, you know, he really turns it up. As far as being resourceful, because if you think about it, him moving, you know, the way he got around Ludus and everything like that, I mean, he's a resourceful guy. He probably could have drove his level up and done a little more exploring if he had had that same, you know, moxie as he had when he knew he had the first clue. Now, it's kind of a make or break moment for him when he realizes that. So, 
you know, it's, it, but, but I mean, when he's on, when, when he's forced to think on his feet, he's clearly pretty damn sharp. Yeah. A, a little sharper than the, the average person. Right. Of course you'd have to be to get to this point. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's all about preparation. <laughs> and obsession. And obsession. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's not, let's not, uh denigrate the uh necessity of complete obsession at this point because obviously you're not going to get here if you're not obsessed yeah and you're certainly not going to pass this challenge i mean think about how long it would take you to learn war games if you fail this challenge yeah yeah and i like the movie but uh, that's some touched stuff right there like yeah you're not gonna and it's that's the thing it's like writing an essay for a class you're not gonna luck your way through an essay you're not going to luck your way through lines of dialogue in a movie. Right. You have to know it. There's right. no moxier flow that's going to make that magically yeah. come into your head. It, you've just got to know it. It's not multiple choice. Not like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> that would make it so much cooler. Like, if you did not know the dialogue, you could have, like, three or four choices, and then... So it'd be like Fallout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dialogue options. <laughs> but you got to choose the right one. Not just a response from one of the four. That would make it so much easier, though. Thank God. <laughs> the game would be over, like, in five minutes. Well, not five minutes. For More me. like an hour and a half. You know, the duration of the film. <laughs> what was that? There's a funny line of dialogue in War Games that kind of reminds me of something a Fallout character would say. And it's right after he walks into the classroom and the teacher's like, Oh, David, nice of you to join us. And he jumps back into the lesson, and I can't remember what he asked. He asked him a question. Oh, I can't remember what it was. Again, but, but I don't this remember. is where I would have failed this <laughs> yeah. game. David, David, well, no, David Lightman's response was, was your wife? And I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember what the question was, but the question, like, the answer, your wife, was hysterical to me when I was a kid. Maybe you could tell us who first suggested the idea of reproduction without sex. Ah. That's what it was. Your wife? <laughs> I would have that is to a very have... fallout response. <laughs> I'd have to have Google available <laughs> to play a game like that. Which he tries to do, doesn't he? I mean, not yeah. Google, but I mean, he tries to pull up some reference... Uh, and he's yeah. unable to, right? Yeah, no cheating. Them, no cheating. Right. You know, question. And maybe this will play into our Dungeons and Dragons knowledge here. But there, there's no cheating thing that comes up when he brings up the Dungeons and Dragons map. There's nothing that says no cheating. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's allowed to like, and, and if you think about it, making your joust is really the challenge there. Right. Sure. But making it through the tomb that's its own challenge too i didn't think about that yeah i didn't either but 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 it's just but but you know he's got i guess the challenge here is knowing the dialogue just like the challenge in the tomb was playing joust yeah so he dresses up the challenge in tomb of horrors and i think that's probably to throw you know i I hadn't thought about this before but it's probably to throw gunters off a little bit because if it's like well I've got to look for Tomb of Horrors. Yeah, you find it. Mm-hmm. But you're not just going to make your way through. If it seems too easy, it probably is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it probably isn't. Well, and he doesn't need the map. 
either in the movie. I'm saying that he was allowed to have the map in Tomb, but Joust was the real challenge. Mm -hmm. But for a level 50-something Gunter, I mean, they might be able to go in there and fight a Sararak and have a pretty good chance, but for a level 3, it's not going to work. Right. So, you know, he, he, he goes back and he has to play, you know, the Joust challenge keeps it fair. We already talked about that. We we, yeah. we don't have to get too far into it. It's just there's there's a there's a difference in the type of challenge here. Uh, you're allowed a little bit of help to make your way through the tomb. You're allowed no help at all to get through war games. You just have to know the movie. Yeah, uh, you're right. And maybe he should have been able to to go into the tomb of horrors without a map. That would have been maybe a, a more detailed or interesting chapter. But you know how this ends. It would have been like, oh, I memorized the map. <laughs> but but to actually know where all the traps are, and if you've ever seen yeah. the map, I mean, it, they're like little squares on a floor of bigger squares. Mm -hmm. So talking your way through a map with someone would be different than actually seeing it and going, okay, well, I know that there are traps here, but fuck all if I knew which squares they are. So I yeah. could see it be a little more challenging. Yeah. It does feel a bit like a cheat that he got a map now that now that we're we're into the movie part. <laughs> yeah. Because this seems wholly but, more more more. But difficult. again, there's no way I mean there's a way that you can cheat your way through war games by pulling up Google or whatever they have in twenty forty five. But you have to know it. There's no way to cheat your way through a joust game. I like that that so far we've got two challenges. And with slight controls being put in, there's no way that you can pass these challenges without being obsessed with what he's obsessed with. Yep. You have to know how to play Joust. You have to know war games. And it's not like, you know, it's it's not like a trivia challenge, which would be easy. Mm -hmm. This is different. You know, it's, you know, I'm not asking you when, you know, Atari was founded or some <laughs> stupid shit like that. I'm asking you to know every line of every line of, of war games. I'm asking you to be one of the best joust players in the entire world. Yeah. That's what what's required of you. And you know, I mean for two hundred and forty nine million dollars, I don't think it's too much to ask. <laughs> <laughs> for the first time through though, I mean Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I'd learn for two hundred and forty nine billion dollars <laughs> be in the books. I think this would be way cooler if uh if if in reality this was played out, and you know there is the potential that this the movie that's coming out could kick this kind of reality or this kind of interactive entertainment into high gear, because you know it's, it's a bit like Star Trek. Once you introduce a technology that that's fictional, but people really latch onto it, it will surface. It will come to life. The idea of warping space, originally fiction, now very much a non-fictional concept cell phones, uh, you know, a number of these things. So the idea that this kind of entertainment displayed and demonstrated could produce a demand, I think something like this would be cool if it was chunked into scenes. Like, I'd love to do just scenes, not a mm -hmm. whole damn movie. Of some of the things that we've seen so far, I would say that this one is probably the one of the closer at hand as far as this technology goes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could you could very well see... With, you know, voice pattern recognition and all that kind of thing in VR, how this could be feasible. Yeah. And we already have games that are based on movies where you're playing this character. So, I mean, that's a, a foundation to this idea as well. Yeah. Albeit most of them are shitty, but yes. 
<laughs> I didn't Let's say face it. They, I didn't say whether or not they were good. When a game comes out <laughs> shortly after a movie, it, it's not going to be a great game, usually, more often than not, because it's just a game riding on the tails of the right. movie, and they don't put a whole lot of thought into it. Maybe the more recent Star Wars uh, EA game was probably the better of them that came out, but a lot of the movie games that have come out in the past just suck. I don't know. There's some Star Wars games out there that are pretty darn good. Yeah, definitely. But at the end of this game, David Lightman, or Wade Watts, saves the world <laughs> from the Soviet Union's ICBMs <laughs> as, a reta- as a retaliation. You guys have probably seen war games. If you have not seen war games and you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, pause it, watch it, come back. That's the good thing about podcasts. Or, you can do <laughs> or if you haven't seen War Games and you read this chapter, <laughs> it might be useful to watch War Games. Yeah. <laughs> but God, they went on for like an hour and a half about a fucking movie I've not seen. Yeah. I <laughs> read Jesus, I hated pages this chapter. about a movie I've never watched. <laughs> weren't you fucking curious? Like, if, if you read through the book and you read through this show, were you not curious? Did you not say, oh, I should see that movie? Yeah. Uh, th- this might be similar to my interest if I'm enjoying this book up to this point. <laughs> Sounds like a good movie. Might have to give it a watch. No, just haven't gotten around to it yet. I'll listen to, I'll listen to however many 15 episodes of a podcast about this book, but I won't take an hour and a half out of my life to watch more games. <laughs> Oh man. So so yeah, at the end of it we get another riddle. The captain conceals the jade key in a dwelling long neglected, but you can only blow the whistle once the trophies are all collected. So, John, you've become a little more acclimated to to the way the riddles work in this book mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Um, do you have any idea what that means? I have no idea right now. No. No guesses. Maybe this week, before I read the next chapter, <laughs> while I'm thinking about it, I might come up with, with something. But right off the bat, no. And he's got the same reaction when when he reads it too. And, what? Yeah, like what is this? Like, and, and part of that is just mentally, he's not able to really decipher it at that moment. But uh, yeah, it didn't pop out to him. Nothing pops out to me yet i mean recall this when when the when the book starts out okay when the book is is the, the very beginning of the book think about the clue that they get out of anorak's invitation because mm-hmm. it's not the one about tomb of horrors it takes a little while before they all figure that out yeah um that was a vague clue you know what i mean that was that was almost no clue at all yeah i mean you had you had some clue of where to find the clue that's basically what anorak's invitation was you know, so I would be a little bit relieved at this point to be like, oh, okay, I've got something to go off of. At least it's not Anorak coming out going, well done, keep looking, and then just disappears, and you're like, oh, great. My thought was that it was something that's probably already been referenced in this book to this point. That's that's as far as I could figure. I was already familiar with the, the first and second lines, or first and third lines of that. But the second and third, I or second and fourth, I didn't have a clue. I I will yeah. say though, this kind of popped out at me when he sees the riddle. He takes screenshots of it. Yeah. 
So if somebody gets a hold of those screenshots, they can bypass the first gate. What? <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm trying to remember ahead. I mean, I can't talk about it. But if I'm they acquire to, the if, if they acquire the first key, this is something that later on in the book, and not too much later, but later on in the book, we're gonna go to go into with a little more depth. And I'll I'll point this out going back to the last chapter. One of the things he points out is like people were flooding Middletown mm-hmm. to access the TRS eighty, and. Of course, somebody had beaten Dungeons of Daggerath, right? Yeah, but they weren't they weren't able to open that gate, right? And the reason they weren't be, the reason they weren't able to open is because he they didn't have the copper key. Now, you know, you would think that oh, well, you need the copper key just to open the gate. Well, people have beaten Dungeons of Daggerath on the TRS eighty in his room, mm-hmm. right? But the War Games poster didn't open up and reveal the gate, so it detects the key. So I, I think it's just got to detect that key. It seems that, and the and the book seems to kind of hit on this, that when, when you are in an area that jives with being in the right place and at the right time, uh, there's more detail. There's additional stuff that happens. Like when he was playing Dungeons of Dagrath, it wasn't just him playing that, like the music queued up in the background, and he didn't do that. So there are these subtle hints that says, you're in the right place at the right time with the right stuff. Keep on going. There are hints, it seems, so far that are kind of planted in. Whereas if you tried to jump ahead to that, as as Ryan just mentioned, yeah, you could play Dungeons and Daggerath, but you wouldn't get the music. It wouldn't open up the gate. Et right. No, I I'm just thinking if it's possible that just the keys themselves are what you need, and the gates that they open give you the clues to the to the next part of the of the hunt then if you had the copper key and saw the next riddle is it possible that you wouldn't have to go through the first gate no you to... still have to go through the first gate okay could could you skip ahead well i mean think about <laughs> it this way like he's on the board right yeah mm-hmm. and every every challenge that he passes you know, it's so the game, the Oasis is keeping track of his progress. So whatever, whatever triggers that next, that next key or that next gate is going to know whether or not he's passed those checkpoints. Right. Right. Think of it like a racing game, right? Like you've got, you've got a gate before a turn, a gate in a turn, and then a gate after a turn. Mm-hmm. If you cut through the grass, go through one gate, cut through the grass, skip the middle gate, and go through the second one. The game knows you're not going to pass through that gate. You're not going to pass that checkpoint okay. without going through the one in the middle. You're going to have to circle back around and go through it. It's the same kind of thing. Like even if he does what he's supposed to do, it's not going to. It's not going to tick. It's not going to count. It's not going to give him the key. At least that, that, that's the way that I read it. Okay. Um, all right. So his score jumps up a hundred thousand points. Um, this is something that jumped out to me. He's being scored throughout this game. So is 100,000 points his score from the game? Or is 100,000 points his score for passing the second game, or the the first game? I think the 100,000 points is from passing the first gate. But what's funny is, doesn't he get 10,000 points 
for obtaining the copper key, right? Yeah, he was 10th okay. level when he left the tomb. Okay, so he jumped he jumped 7 levels mm-hmm. with 10,000 points. With 100,000 points, he jumps 10 levels. But remember, the experience that he was getting, for just moving through the tomb, collecting all those coins and stuff, that's also racking up, right? Right. But you would think that the check, because he's getting scored in war games that that experience is also racking up right well you would think you would just it would be a much larger jump than 10 levels yeah i well I, in a lot of the games that i've played where there are levels uh particularly you know like like battlefield for example so to get to that first level takes very little to get to the second level takes maybe twice as much as first okay and it's not twice as much every time over but it is significantly more to the point where when you get to 40th level, you need like a million points of experience. That makes so sense. So I, I think every level you move up actually is harder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't even know why we spent so much time on yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> but with a, with a wide, wide lead, Wade now sits at 110,000 points. At this point, he's finally going to take himself some rest. So he takes his visors off. He's freezing his ass off in the back of a van at the bottom of the stacks. Reality has set in. Now, this reminded me of, for some reason, because uh, I, I have no gaming experience that, that would remind me of what he's been through on this night. But there were times when you know, John and I used to write music together a little bit and stuff like that. And there would be times when we'd be sitting outside and we'd be going at something just, you know, for a while. And it would be, you know, a Midwestern night, 40 degrees, and we'd be sitting out there having beers and stuff. And before we knew it, we kind of, like, come out of what we were talking about, and it's like, Jesus, I'm cold. (laughs) All of a sudden, it's like the high of the the thing is gone. And you're like, oh, my God, (laughs) what happened? And, you, you know, I mean, you realize you've just been freezing, but you're so preoccupied with what you're doing, you don't realize it. And for some reason, it's just like, I, I know the, like, like body-wise, physically, I know what he's talking about here. Your preoccupation is drawing your, your mind away from being freezing cold. And it's got to be, you know, I wonder what the effect is on your mind. I mean, because when you're, when you're experiencing sort of a spring or summer day, you know, in the oasis, that's what your mind is seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. I, I wonder if your mind is playing tricks on you a little bit. Yes, you almost you almost feel the warmth of yeah. the sun in the oasis. Yeah, that. Yeah, I could see that. There are some games I've played that were set into this weird winter scenery, and I do not like playing those because I get I get cold. I mean, I may not be cold, but playing in a winter environment in a game that you know just staring at the screen for a couple hours. Like a particularly some first person shooter stuff, uh, it's just just it's first off it's gray, it's slushy and it's cold. And I get like that in movies too. Like people loved Frozen, hated Frozen, <laughs> hated Frozen. I came out of that just absolutely frigid. I'll tell you what, the temperature being what it is down here right now in Tennessee. I'm thinking about going back and playing Skyrim because every time I do the College of Winterhold missions, I feel like my AC works a little better. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking maybe Chris would reference a different movie other than Frozen. 
and you could have said like the thing <laughs> like John that's Carpenter's a good one sure uh, no frozen just irritated me the most i should say you know it's, it's the kids loved it on many on many levels <laughs> yeah there's a lot of other things at play there not the least of which is josh gad <laughs> <laughs> who never fails to irritate me <laughs> I, I, sorry josh gad not like you're listening to the show, but if you are, I apologize. For some reason, he just didn't like in that movie, yeah, or any movie. I guess. I'm sure he's a cool guy. Like he seems like a funny dude, but just <laughs> oh my god, he could see the, the roles he takes. Just they they leave you chilled. <laughs> they make you want to give a cold shoulder to the film. Shut up, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but we end the chapter in. Uh, a place that we were kind of talking about this before we started uh, recording tonight. I'm just going to kind of set the scene and then we'll talk about it, okay? Mm. So he's going to sleep on just pure, you know, tired, but with the adrenaline rush of knowing he's the first one to pass through the first gate. And as he, you know, as he falls asleep, he he wakes to a dream or a nightmare, depending on your interpretation of it. (laughs) Um... He's not in his own body. He's in Parzival's body. And he's wearing armor made of paper. Uh, In his right hand is a toy plastic sword. In his left hand is a large glass egg. It's actually the Fabergé egg from Risky Business that gets stolen. Right? And he's standing there out in the open for the world to see. And in unison, the armies of his enemies let out a fierce battle cry and charge toward him. They converge on his position. A little bit of military speak there. I don't know where the hell that comes from. <laughs> I mean, if you play Call of Duty with anybody, you, you know, I mean, like, you start off with, like, I'm getting shot to, like, you know. <laughs> you see, they converged I'm on taking his beef. position. I'm taking beef. Yeah, they like, flanked yeah. him from the Frag south out. and the west. Like, you, you, go from, you go to military speak pretty quickly if you play those kinds of games. But anyways, all right. They converge on his position with bared teeth and blood in their eyes. They're coming to take the egg. And there's nothing he can do to stop him. He knew he was dreaming and expected to wake up before they reached him, but he didn't. In the dream, he was ri- the egg was ripped from his grasp. And he felt himself being torn to shreds. That That's suck. a graphic dream. It's also mm-hmm. pretty terrifying. Yeah. But... Chris, Chris mentioned that uh, you can elaborate a little bit, but you, you said that this is our first instance of real foreshadowing in the book, which I wouldn't say first altogether, but this is, I think, the most obvious. Yeah, well, you know, you come up to this point, we talked about it a little bit before, which was, you know, what is the real significance of getting to this point? And it, he, this is the only time where he has had even a moment to let it settle on him that that now he would be a target, one would imagine, for the entire world. Because when you reflect back on earlier chapters, everyone's obsessed about this. And, you know, they spent two weeks on some dude that gave away a hint in, a, in the book. It, it, or was it two weeks? Like two months on this guy. So, so he is now this giant target, I would imagine, and this is his dreams basically saying, you're fucked. This may be where you want to have gone, but you are now wholly fucked in this position. Because, you know, that puts you basically, you know, target number one. Yeah, I I had somewhat the same 
interpretation of it, but it also like just shows him again as a target by everybody in the Oasis. And also despite his preparation for the hunt itself and his dedication to knowing everything, eighties nostalgia, pop culture, everything, uh, he's not prepared for the attention that he's going to get and the confrontations that are certain to happen. Another thing here is is that it's not just a, potentially a foreshadowing, but it's not like he's part of a Gunter clan. It's not like he's got people that are on his side. He has spent years and years being alone. Like the, His code was that it was either he could do it or he could not do it. But part of that code is going it alone. And now that mm -hmm. he's reached this place, that reflection is ultimately everyone that was not on his side is now going to be against him. He has no one to back him up. He has made all but one friend, maybe one and a half, <laughs> kind of. And even those two people are still in the game competing against him. Mm -hmm. There's a phrase... You know, the dog that caught the car, you know, you, you hear it a lot. And, and, and I think to, to a degree, that's the way I read it is that's what Klein's trying to push out here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know, imagine, you know, Chris is a programmer. You probably understand this. I know, you know, at times with, you know, some of the things that I do professionally, I mean, I, I, I've had situations like this where you come out and you promise a big game. Like, I can do this. And then there's always the moment where somebody says, okay, show me. You do it. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> there's a lot of time involved and blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, just like, it's it's way more challenging than you thought. You're confident you could do it, but now you're doing it. And now, you know, there are eyes on you. To a degree, there are people relying on you for, in, in some way, shape, or form. I mean, you're, you're presenting... You're representing a little bit of hope in the Oasis right now. There's a lot of different points of pressure on Wade right now. Points of pressure that he never had to deal with before because nobody knew he even existed. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, a, a kid that doesn't even have really a family. I mean, he's sitting in, in a fucking van at the bottom of, of the stacks. And nobody knows where he is. Nobody's wondering, hey, where's Wade right now? <laughs> Nobody. And that's been his entire, you know, adolescent life is just basically being alone. So not only does he have the challenge of of being the best at what he does, but he's also got the challenge of getting used to people. Yeah, he's got the attention. And, and eyes on him and mattering. And that's got to be a totally different kind of pressure. You hear celebrities talk about it all the time, like when they get famous, when they catch the car. And it's like, holy shit. I yeah. don't know that I wanted this. To relate to the programming thing, yeah, there there are there are cars I've chased that I caught sometimes even regretfully. Uh, and that's because what I didn't realize is that occasionally there are people working against you behind the scenes. That it's not just people looking at you, it's people that do not want you to succeed. And and they're doing their best to undermine you. But one of the things that kind of flashed on me here was that now it's not just that he's alone. His entire universe is now more in his hands than it has ever been before. Like, at least before, 
if the good guy, someone else got the egg or got the first key, he could sit back and go, well, I can just ride with it. There's nothing I can do about it but just keep trying. But there's sort of that reserve, right? You're not in the mix yet. But when it's all in your hands, it's incredibly overwhelming, I'd imagine. Because it's not just people relying on him. It's an entire universe that he relies on that's now totally in his court. And he's yet to really communicate with H. So you don't quite know at this point what that interaction is going to be. I mean, he could combat him yeah. <laughs> over over this, uh, or he could he could be a support. I don't I don't know. I'm I mean I would assume the latter, but you don't know at this point. And he I don't know if he knows at this point. I, I want to make this last because that's a great place to end. But my last point on this is to Wade, it's Wade against the world. Yep. But to the world, it's Wade against IOI. Yeah. That that's the stakes. And I think this dream is also him really realizing that. Because now he has the pressure of saving the Oasis. And what are his means to do so? You know, I mean, he's still level 20. He's still, he's, he's going to have to traipse into some PvP zones. He's going to have to face danger. He's, he's not wealthy. You know, I mean, he's, got, he's, he's funded now, but he's not that wealthy. And he's, uh, he has to save the Oasis because if he doesn't, that's it. And it, it doesn't go, it's not said here, but we know who the enemy is and we know what they intend to do with the Oasis. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's been the mission of this book and every gunter to stop them. So now it's Wade versus them. But I like what you bring up to, as an ending point. It, you know, he hasn't talked to H yet and who knows what that conversation is going to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, but we'll, <laughs> yeah, uh, you guys know, <laughs> we'll, we'll find out soon. We'll find out soon, very soon, in fact. Yeah. And uh, and that will be Chapter 12. But this has been Chapter 11. This is a shorter episode, we know, but it's 75% of the chapter is War Games. So. <laughs> Go watch Which War is Games. a great movie, and you should see it. <laughs> Which you should definitely watch. And between, between now and the next episode, definitely watch it. Also, uh, something you should do between now and the next episode is let us know on reddit or twitter or facebook what what are the movies you think that you could do what are your put up or shut up movies uh from you know mm-hmm. for your flick sync if you had to flick sync one thing and 249 billion dollars was on the line what movie could you do we want to hear it and we'll read some of them on the uh, on the show uh coming up and we'll, we'll definitely be in the the uh, uh the feeds and everything like that um commenting with you guys on some of your movies. Um, but that's it for Chapter 11, unless you guys have anything to add. Chris? I, I just thought of a movie I know I could do. Okay. okay. Candy Stripers 2 is one of Ron Jeremy's earlier 80s huh. movies. I knew this There's was not an enormous happen. amount of I dialogue. Knew porn was going to get brought up. <laughs> you know what? Porn has driven a number of video formats. Yeah. And I, I guarantee I it know. will drive this. Uh, I would just like to to comment on that live event at Sutri's we just had this past that was <laughs> this fantastic. few days ago. Turnout yeah. was great. We raised some money for charity. It was awesome. 
thousands. Unexpected. We raised thousands. If you missed today it. is the 18th of July, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't happened. It's I mean, when you're listening to this, it's happened. To us, it has not happened yet. Thousands. <laughs> I was trying to just not bring it up. <laughs> You're fucking with the illusion, John. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Oh, God. Well, we hope it was good. And I got show wasted. The event. It was fantastic. <laughs> I never get wasted on the air. I, I got a feeling it was great. We, we will have seen. We could, we could, we could issue apologies right now as well, just in case we have yeah, some. Just, uh, yeah, pick one. Wow, about disaster! That, about that thing I said that was live. I, yeah. I did not mean it. I really. I want to thank that. you guys for helping me carry John back to the car. <laughs> Are we just gonna run through all the scenarios that could possibly happen? Chris got really frustrated. <laughs> the guy Chris punched at it coming. For that half hour table. that was completely black, sorry about that technical faux pas. Our bad. You know, for anybody who this is like their very first episode, they're probably going to be like, what the fuck happens at their live show? <laughs> this is very Quentin Tarantino. What is this it's pretty just, It's out of sync. Like, it's all good. Do you, do you flick sync Roadhouse for Christ's sake? <laughs> Uh, let's end on a Patrick Swayze joke, guys. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm John. And this is Chris. And this has been Get to the Good Part. So long, folks. Why are you laughing? What the fuck is wrong with you? Why don't you just go ahead and tell everybody what the fucking riddle means? (laughs) So what happens in the next three quarters of the book? How does it end? We'll just end it. We'll stop it right here. How's the book end? Uh, You know, you already have foreshadowing, so I'd I'd say you're you're halfway there. He's backpedaling. All right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a wash.